Welcome to Heal. Today's guest, Corey Matias, walked a long path of healing in her six plus year journey with Lyme's disease. She shares with us about the nebulous nature of her diagnosis and both what she deals with every day, living in Sweden, raising three children, and the intuitive spiritual guidance that is leading her back to health and toward her divine purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. So first of all, I just want to say thank you, Corey, for, I know that this is, it takes something, right? To be like, yeah, I'm totally going to share my story publicly. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've actually been waiting for this opportunity for years, hearing other people share their stories. And I'm like, oh yeah. (laughs) Awesome. This is so good. And I'm not going to put words in your mouth by creating an introduction, but you know, what, what's actually there is. Uh, you've been a very dear friend of mine for, when did we meet? 2014? 15? 2015. Yeah. And we had the privilege of getting to meet in Europe where you live, Mm -hmm. not, not where you live, but you live in Europe. You're from Sweden. And, uh, you know, it was just like one of those soul sister connections from the get go and then getting to watch it all unfold and being able to be a partner and a witness to what your health and well being experiences have been. And then, you know, from my looking from the outside and what we've talked about, I've had a lot of clients that, you know, things dabble in the spiritual realm. Like, you know, I I've always, not always, but something that I've been known to say is like, people can get a psychic flu where like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different reasons why disease manifests in our body. And it's not just physical. Right. And sometimes when we're spiritually out of alignment or there's a giant spiritual lesson to be learned, we get the privilege <laughs> of learning that through <laughs> the universe comes this physical disease or illness state. And yeah. you are at the top of my list of people I put more in that category. And so I think your story is incredibly valuable and powerful and is going to open up something for people that have never considered it, but then might go, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. I can say my observation about, you know, where we are evolutionarily right now, I guess spiritually right now, collectively, is in a place where a lot of sensitive people can't keep living inside of the structures that were put in place decades, centuries, millennia ago. And so I, I seem to be a magnet for people who are coming up against these boundaries, these, yeah. these walls. <laughs> you, you just keep hitting something until the point that you're sick and you're like, but why am I sick? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be a raging psychic and I don't know how to do that in this world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm supposed to be so floofy doofy out there and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable to be that and to not be that at the same time. So the last few years that we've been working together has been just pulling up layer after layer after layer of everything that's between me and me. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what it is. Yep. Mhm. Yeah. And, yeah, so. and it's, it comes in every layer. It comes in the physical, it comes in the social, you know, my family relationships, my work. There's nothing that goes untouched. No. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. So give us a little bit of like 
fly in the wall so we can just get into your world like are there diagnoses what do you actually physically deal with like what does this look like kind of on the court for you and then we'll get into like some of that depth sure okay well i can say i wasn't consciously aware of actually being sick until 2016 when my third child was about six months old in retrospect i think it's been issues I've been dealing with all of my life, but they didn't get loud enough to recognize I was no longer functional in day-to-day life until 2016. And that's when I called out you and we started with um, the adrenal fatigue diagnosis. And then after treating that for a year and stabilizing, but not really recovering the way we were expecting, then I got the neuroborreliosis, the Lyme disease diagnosis. That was 2017. Now in 2020, in Sweden, I have a chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. And there have been all kinds of battles internally and externally with the medical system here and what they believe and what I can feel is true in my body because those are not in agreement. What I think is going on in my body is not anything they recognize as real. And they're perfectly happy to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, so I, you know, I've I've had mono Epstein Barr diagnosed twice in my like at age eighteen and twenty three. So there's there's in the gamut of infectious disease and just chronic fatigue syndrome. I've I've had every symptom. I've lived a life where I make big jumps. I don't like everyday life. I like adventure. So I make big moves like, you know, moving to Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) Having three children in a foreign land. Having three children in a foreign land, which I don't recommend. (laughs) 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 Unless you're, I mean, not that I had any awareness. I thought I was great when I made that choice. And in hindsight, you know, I I wouldn't do it again, but I, it's what I did. And I've learned a lot. I've learned so much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, is that, that's the yeah, physical yeah, part of no, it. No, totally. And so then like, like symptomatically, what of your experiences, like just give us, you know, like the, the highlights reel of some of the things you've dealt with physically. It's very interesting because I'm working on finding a language for chronic fatigue syndrome because it's a language that doesn't exist. Oh my There's... God. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm living it. There... Yeah. I mean, you just, you can't move and you don't know why your body won't move and it hurts, but it's not any kind of hurt like you've ever experienced before. It's, you know, I've had knee surgeries. I've had injuries. I played soccer. I know what it is to work hard. I know what it is to exercise and to get injured and to work through it. And none of that applies here. Like it just, it's not in the same category. And so physically, it's just like being so exhausted that your body just says no. And no matter what you do to will yourself into what you think you want to do or what you think you should do, your body just laughs in your face and goes, nope, can't do that now. Sorry. Yeah, I've had the experience where literally like... It's like running out of gas, but you have absolutely no idea when the tank is going to be empty. And it's like, no, I'll be like trucking along 
not exactly normal life, but like I can see clients and I'm able to have certain conversations. And then it is like full stop. My body's like, and we're done. And I'm like, I, I wasn't actually done yet though. I have this to do and this to do and this. And they're like, nope. And for me, fortunately, however I caught this or my awareness of it happening and not powering through longer than I needed to, I don't have the body pain. Although there are these like surreal body sensations of tension. And like, I notice it a lot when I go to sleep where all I want to do is actually stretch and tighten and clench the muscles in my feet and my calves. And it's this Mm -hmm. weird, you know, but I have to to sleep, right? Like, so that I can feel some of the neuromuscular stuff going on. It hasn't actually, and there's moments where I'm like, is this pain? No, this isn't really painful. It's something, like you said, there's not a lot of language for it, but it's not like anything I've ever experienced before. And in theory, I feel like I want to exercise and go for a run to get that worked out, (laughs) except that would be a horrible idea because it would empty my tank so fast. So I'm like, there's this. And I find too, that tension gets worse the more I work out. Yeah. Got it. Like it, there's like a kickback, like the more Mm -hmm. I push and, and it can actually help me often where like, Oh, just a little five minute movement can start to feel so good. And my joints loosen up and it feels so nice. And then it all tightens up even worse. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's, there's, it, it really messes with your head because everything you think you're supposed to do to get better and even things that you feel are helping in the short term can often, yeah. yeah, yeah, within a day or two, suddenly you're like, oh man, yeah. I find that that sensation where your body goes, I'm done, is too late. Yeah. <laughs> that, that turning off the body saying, oh, now I'm out. Like usually by the time I get to that point, I've overdone it. Yeah. And now I'm going to be down for a couple days to pay the price. Yeah. Yep. And you know, I know cause you know, your husband is really athletic. So one of the things we can cha- be challenged by is then the conventional wisdom of the outside world who are just telling us everything in health is diet and exercise. Right. So you just need to exercise. You should just work out more. Right. Like it's like such a common thing that I will hear from the outside world, you know, like, I mean, bless his heart. I had a massage therapist, really wonderful human being. And his framework is muscles and physicality and strengthening and stretching and all of that. And he's like, yeah, I just really think like, like yoga, you should just do like, like yoga is going to help. And I'm like, (laughs) I mean, like maybe like, it's gotta be the perfect pranayana, kundalini gentle, like really, I mean, and that's part of what I've been, one of my lessons in this much smaller, shorter version than what you've worked through is a whole new world of discovering subtlety. And like, I mean, I've been a driven, like you said, adventure seeking, driving person my whole life. And it's like the universe is like, oh, you're now going to learn about stillness and quiet. And, you know, when I would do yoga traditionally, it's like 30 days, 90 minutes a day. I'm going to take it on. I'm going to do yoga every single day. I'm going to like, it's like, no, no, you're not. You know, if anything, it's like, you can do 10 minutes holding three poses (laughs) and breathing a lot. And then you're done. (laughs) It's like, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's great. What you said about embracing subtlety, because it really, I'm finding like this huge lesson that is coming through in the last few months has been 
slowing down Mm -hmm. and I'm hearing it all over the spiritual community and so many blogs and, and things like that of slowing down and really just taking time. And this is what we don't do in modern society, but just taking time to be with whatever is there. And for me, it also includes and meeting that with radical kindness, Hmm. meeting that with like radical compassion and care for yourself primarily. I mean, as a sick person, it's for yourself as if it were, you know, if you weren't sick, it might still be for yourself, but it might be for someone else. Right now, I can't think so much about meeting other people with kindness. I'm, I'm in my own world. So yeah, that taking time to really process every moment and every feeling and every bit of discomfort, learning to be with pain. Oh my gosh. Learning to be with pain is so hard for me. And it is exactly what I need to do because I can't sit still unless I can be with the pain. And if I can't sit still, the pain gets much worse. So there's this forced healing. Like I have to learn to be with the pain. I have to be okay with the uncomfortable things. And again, that is not just physical, it's relational, it's emotional, it's mental. Um, And I have so many years of getting help with this and I still have so much room for growth with this. It's not something that is easy or obvious or it's a never ending process, I think. But, but now is a really good time to just slow down and, and meet every moment and everything that comes up. And it's, it's not fun yeah. <laughs> it's, or it's not as fun as going fast for me anyway. I love yeah. going fast Yeah, and I there can't was, now. There was a point where I was in a like personal growth seminar and it was actually about money. It was like, this whole other topic, right? But what I actually ended up discovering in one of the sessions is that I do everything fast. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, my native state is New York, right? I talk fast, I walk fast, I text fast. So then there's lots of typos and errors in my text messages. I want to get everything. And it's like, I just was on this race. And I actually distinguished that there was a conversation because I'm the younger sister. My sister's five years older than me. And it was like, I was six years behind in life. Because of course Mm. I'm competitive. So I couldn't just meet her where she was at. I had to be ahead of her. So there was this like, but that's like literally a set up. It's impossible. Like my sister's five years older than me. I will never be older than her. I will never be ahead of her in that way. And so there was like this drive, this like, it's like this internal energetic thing. And, you know, I got a bunch worked out about it then, but that's continued. And now I'm like in whole other layers of what does it really mean to slow down? What does it really mean to be quiet? Like I've done four silent meditation retreats now in the last several years. And it's amazing how basically sitting on a cushion doing nothing for nine hours a day for eight days straight is one of the most transformative things I've ever experienced. But I almost always would like journal, read books, like there'd be stuff I was still like interacting with. So this very last retreat that I did a year ago, somebody asked, like, what about books? Is reading a book considered being in silence? And he said, no. And I was like, 
oh shit. <laughs> like, 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 and, and I didn't realize how much I still held on to that. Right. And so I actually took it on. I broke the vow twice when I journaled and it was remarkable that I actually experienced adrenaline from journaling. Yeah. Like I felt myself break out of that even deeper state of meditation, being present, parasympathetic, whatever, you know, and the first day of the retreat, like we, we showed up on a day, you drop in, you do some meditations, you take the vow of silence that you wake up into the next morning. So the first full day, the next morning, I literally couldn't sit still. And I like had to go do like this, like personally run yoga session for like an hour and a half one afternoon that day. Just like, it was like all this kinetic energy in my body, you know, and then I unwound that through the week, but that's, you know, I think in the end it was actually only really four days of silence. Cause it was like six days and there's the entry day and the exit day. So like really it was only four days and the amount that it took you know, but then there's also something I got left with where like, I now crave that. Yeah. And I haven't been willing to do what it would take to actually block my life off and create that without going to a retreat. Although I'm now like, that's one of the things I'm looking at for this fall is what can I actually put in place to basically do a solo meditation retreat and give myself that gift and, you know, literally just be no reading, no journaling, Definitely no phones, screenshots, text messaging, whatever, you know, like, yeah. It's so interesting to hear you describe your experience of that retreat because that is like every day for me. Mm. That's literally that, that struggle between knowing you need to relax and feeling down and any activity, any screen, any movement, that adrenaline surge. Wow. And I, I literally feel that if I'm not just lying there for hours or days by myself. Yeah. So it's so interesting. I'm, uh-huh. I'll be looking into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting now currently like slowing things down and tuning in and like, I, I like I'll get like, I get a, a spike in heart rate and surge in my body from decaf coffee. Like I actually mm-hmm. now can perceive the all, all eight milligrams of caffeine that's in that. And I would drink 250, 300 milligrams of, ca- of caffeine, no problem, you know, like, which yep. maybe has something to do with how I ended up here. I didn't drink that <laughs> yeah. much caffeine and I'm that sensitive to it. Yeah. So yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's, and it's interesting even around foods. Mm-hmm. which foods are more stimulating and others. And there's actually- I can eat a piece of cheese now as like, if my blood sugar is dropping, uh-huh. a piece of cheese, just a, like a small piece of cheese brings me up. Wow. Yeah. That's so Who does wild. that do that for? Right? You're like, I'm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm dosing with an upper. It's, it's called Gouda. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. Literally. It's, yeah. it's amazing. What do you feel are the things that either maintain your energy or keep you in that relaxed state? <laughs> I've not been in that relaxed state for a while now because my <laughs> kids have been homesick so much and like yeah. over the summer and then two weeks of the first four weeks of school, three weeks of the first five weeks of school, I've had at least one kid homesick. So oh my gosh. it takes a lot to get me there and keep me there. Physical like massage, touching is something for me that brings me back into my body and relaxing it. And it gives me, I guess, what I found is often my inability, my current interpretation, my inability 
to relax, to come down, to deal with that adrenaline surge in a healthy way is usually my resistance to some form of discomfort. So what I'm finding is being able to meet that discomfort with some form of self-care, some form of pleasure to make it manageable. And that helps me relax. And I love being touched. So to a point, having kids on me gets a little, gets overwhelming, but there are (laughs) days when I'm like, you ask my eight-year-old, can you come massage my feet just for five minutes so that I can calm down? Yeah. (laughs) Just, just so I can relax a little bit because otherwise it would actually be like days without the kids or having the kids at school consistently where I just can relax enough to lay down and literally I would nap on and off for most of the day and then sleep for 10 hours at night. And I can do that. And I honestly, that's often the best I feel is when I can just lay in bed and do nothing. Hmm. Yeah. Which is actually not as much fun as it sounds. All those people out there who like, Oh, I'm so busy. I wish I could just lay down. Like it is, it's, it is really nice and it's comforting because it's what I need to do, but it's not a life I would choose. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what of the spiritual lesson, what have you discovered, gotten confronted by, like, where, where are you grappling with this as any information or downloads you've gotten of here's the path to healing and this is what you have to confront or what has that been like for you? Oh, because I'm me, just because I'm me, it's still confusing. You know, if it were easy for me to get, I would have gotten it, but it is it is that thing, you know, of course, it's the lesson that I can't get. <laughs> if I understood it, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, I mean, it's the, for 15 years, I've been getting the let go message. Corey, let go. Corey, let go. I'm like, I'm trying, God damn it. <laughs> and it doesn't work. Typically, the messages I get are bringing me back into me and bringing me back into my body and listening to myself. And that's where I'm at right now is getting back to like, oh, I don't slow down and listen to myself. And there's so many things behind that. There's self-worth and there's, you know, whatever confidence I had as a professional and, and just being sick like this, you, you lose so much of what you think is yourself and it really is an identity crisis. So now trying to rebuild myself, trying to, get through all the clutter, any, any conversation, any insecurity I ever had got really loud. So trying to work through that and spiritually it's, it really is, it has been about coming back to myself and coming back to my truth and, and, and not even coming back to it, just figuring out what it was. Because if I go really out there and and say what's there for me is I have been a psychic in multiple lives. I have been a shaman in multiple lives. I have been persecuted. So all of these things that keep me from my divine, you know, have been there for thousands of years. And, you know, it's, it's in there so deeply that there's not a me I recognize as, you know, this easygoing divine truth teller or whatever I will be. You know, I don't know what I'm going to be when I come out of this. Not like there's an out and an in, but along this line, 
whatever point I feel like I'm physically well enough to go be out in the world, should that ever happen, I don't know what it's going to look like. And so, you know, every, every few years, this, this theme comes up. And right now it's just, you know, what do I want? What is true for me? And what do I want to like, be an anchor for in the world? You know, like that's my, my wish to be of service is, you know, what do I wish for all of existence, all of creation? Because in my understanding of things, it's not just humans on earth. It's not just earth in a solar system. Like there is an expansiveness that I don't understand. And I don't know if anyone really does within, you know, I, I've, I've, I have friends who have had experiences where they've opened up to everything at once and just, you know, laid there essentially catatonic for a few days with information coming through because they just suddenly have access to all of it. I haven't had that experience, but I guess right now I'm trying to clear out as many fears as I can because I turns out I'm a very afraid person. And that's not something I ever recognized in myself. No one would have ever described me that way. But I live entirely inside of being afraid of certain consequences and doing everything I can do to avoid those consequences. So, you know, clearing that fear so that I actually have that full on connection to the divine and to that feeling of being safe and being loved, which is something I don't often have access to which is ironic because i'm a psychic and that's what you think you know psychics do and many of oh, us do yeah in theory but, so so one right? with the universe are we yep <laughs> and what is i mean i know this is cliche but it's like we're we're spiritual beings having a human experience right you know yeah Not human beings having a spiritual experience and you know i've got so many parallels it, you know, and I'm pretty clear, you know, the, the medical label is for me is chronic fatigue syndrome. And I, I don't even know though, if it's not just like a few months, a three, four month thing that, you know, will pass and take its course. However, what I am very clear is call it whatever you want. The divine angels, spirit, Gaia, energy, God, somebody has majorly tapped on my shoulder and said, you can't keep living the way you've been living. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can, but it won't go well for several reasons, both physically, but also like, it's not even physical. Cause like I had chronic illness as a kid, my whole childhood dealing yeah. with asthma, not being able to breathe, three and four week infectious disease issues. I also had mono as a kid, you know. And we've, I was the same. Yeah. All those same, which, which in reading like Caroline Meese and, you know, Anatomy of the Spirit and some of her work and then Carla McLaren's work there, you know, those are the empaths I'm the most familiar with. Mona Lisa Schultz was also, Mona Lisa Schultz, is an MD psychiatrist, I think. I know she's got a dual degree. One, basically, the mental side, one, the physical side. And she was a professor at NYU and a wicked medical intuitive. And, like, she has this incredible story of nar having narcolepsy. 
and she would she fell asleep running and got hit by a bus. Oh my gosh. And that was when spirit reached out and knocked literally knocked her on her head. <laughs> and yeah. basically said, if you don't start cultivating and utilizing your gifts of intuition, you're just gonna think you're you're not you, right? And that's what cracked open her. And then she's had this massive influence and and been a very rare being who's trafficked between conventional medicine and academia and yet also that she's been a hero of mine because of that. And that's something that like, like for you, you're in that investigation still of like, how do I want to serve the world? What is actually there for me to manifest? And, you know, for me becoming a naturopathic physician. So on the outside, you see doctor and be it, you know, not the average doctor. Right. But there's a whole interior landscape that most of my career I have not worn publicly that I'm a medical Mm -hmm. intuitive I can read a perfect stranger head to toe and tell them a lot about their life, their energetics, and their health. That I only know that just because it's been validated thousands of times when I've done yeah. those readings. I don't hold any of that as the truth. I'm pretty clear I'm reflecting an energy field that just through a lot of practice and being worked with with other teachers, I've been able to hone the subtleties you know, to, to look at and feel and interpret the subtleties. And I kind of just drop into this trance like state and things flow out of me. And I tell all my clients, like, keep what makes sense and resonates, makes a difference for you. And if it doesn't resonate or you don't know what I'm talking about, just throw it out. Like, I don't care. And inside that I've had people that have had gone to Cedar sinai UCLA system, Mayo Clinic with no answers, spent years working with specialists with no answers and they come to me and in the first 45 minutes of doing a reading we start to sleuth out some of the roots of where their illness is coming from and mm-hmm. literally this podcast right now is the first time I've ever been this clear in this public <laughs> about <laughs> saying that you know is is like yeah and it's always been both and I and I say like I do have one foot in the scientific I will never throw out my medical training But if there's something else that can come in and inform me, and when you do talk to nurses and surgeons and doctors, like surgeons who are right there, literally with their hands in your body, and something just says, look here, do this, don't do that. Like those guiding, we all have it. Oh yeah. The same alarm goes off in the nurses. I heard this story of, might've been Mona Lisa Schultz that actually shared this on one of her interviews, but like nurses will be in there whatever, waiting, I don't know what to call it, like their, their hangout room. There's probably a better yeah, word yeah. for that, right? <laughs> Away from the patients. And break room. That's a good one, right? And um, that works. the same alarm goes off. It's the same noise, literally, for a whole bunch of different things that the patients are dealing with. And they'll like literally just go about their business, go check on a patient, like no big deal. Yeah, yeah. And then the alarm will go off and all of the nurses in the entire room will jump up and mobilize. And they, they literally know when it's an emergency versus when it's run of the mill. And it's the same goddamn alarm. What is that, right? Other than our interconnectedness, our intuition, the way that we are a collective species, how we feel each other, how we get tuned into those subtle realms. And I think it's a massive missing in medicine and the art of medicine that we don't, A, talk about this. B, freaking train each other in it because it's totally reproducible training. And so that realm has been something that I wonder with what I'm dealing with right now that's really just 
this giant lesson in slowing down, tuning in. And again, it's like my dojo of Mm -hmm. training for feeling those subtleties in myself and in the world around me. And I need to arrange, I think one of the things I'm getting is I need to arrange my life in a new way where it's not so much of me pouring my energy out into other people without a very equal reciprocity coming back in. It's just been draining me. And so that's one of the things I'm looking at is if I'm going to do this deep work and a lot of healers talk about this, like where they discover they have to create the balance, you know, Mm -hmm. of output versus input and make sure because energy is always in balance in the universe and wherever we try and throw it off balance, it'll find a way to reset it. You know, global warming, it's resetting things, whether we like it or not. (laughs) That's what the hurricanes are all about. That's what the forest fires and the earthquakes are all about is the earth is sick. The earth has an inflammatory disorder called global warming (laughs) (laughs) and it's dealing with it. And so there are these pains and spasms and, and explosions and outbursts and all of that, that is actually the earth dealing with that excess energy that's now in the atmosphere and reprocessing it. The earth in the long run will be fine. It's just whether or not Mm -hmm. we manage to stick around in the process. It's the same thing with our bodies and illness and, and, you know, we're putting things in and not, not keeping a balance. And it is exactly the same thing. And that is something as we progress and more and more people become aware of their intuitive abilities and, and the energy shifts so that more people have easier access to it. It's, it's, I can't say if it's, the demands that society expects of individuals nowadays and of groups, or if it's just where we are in time. But that idea of, you know, the healers working for next to nothing and working all these hours, like some people can manage that. Most of the sensitives can't we need that retreat time. We need that recover time. And, and I'm hoping that in the near, near future, in the next couple decades, we will be given some solutions to this yeah. because it's not going to be long-term stable to, right. you know, be able to work with one or two people and be like, all right, now I'm done for the day, for the week, yeah. because I have to still... Difference take care of my kids or I still have to, you know, do everyday things. And that's, that's something too of you. We've had this conversation of managing the everyday, the physical, you know, going to the bathroom, feeding yourself, paying the bills, like all of those things, unless we change that. And and we could actually, it, it, most people think that's a ridiculous idea, but we really could change the structure of society and the way that we live and the way that we trade goods and all of that. But for now, from where we are, there's a lot of people that need healing and there's more and more healers, but we still have to learn how to take care of ourselves and each other yeah. in a way that doesn't exist nowadays. I kind of like, I have the things that I, I, I threaten when I get frustrated with day-to-day life. Like I'm going to just go off and spend two years on a sailboat and sail around the world. And, but one of my, and I've actually another podcast really recently that came out just before this one 
is I said, you know, my threat is to live in a yurt and own a Tesla. Like that's like one of my dreams, you know, and like, and the, and the, the kind of what I love about it is, is, you know, they're both economic, ecological, but there's also this point of like, my house would be worth less than my car, which I just, I don't know. There's something, I love the joke of that. But, but when I actually think about it, there's actually often inside the things we quote threaten or joke about like that, there's a lot of deep truth and there's something where my soul is speaking through me, which to be able to sleep outdoors, to be able to wake up. I mean, I I was a river guide in my twenties and I had the privilege of getting to be on these multi-day trips where all summer for five summers in a row, I slept outside without a tent on the ground for four months of the year. And in September, when that would end and I'd rent an apartment and I'd try and go inside, I could feel the electricity, the lack of air movement was disorienting. Like it was like there was, by being able to sleep outside for four months straight, I got, my body got tuned back into our natural way of living, which is actually, we are animals. We actually evolved almost entirely out of doors. And even in the last 150 years, it's changed dramatically because many of us came from more agrarian backstory. You know, we would have been outside in the farming fields for 16 hours a day. And quite frankly, if you look at some of those houses, they weren't exactly sealed up tight. Air moved right through them. So like, oh, you yeah. might not get rained on necessarily, but this, it's recent that we shrink wrap our homes literally in plastic. Like there's no movement. And one of my, if I didn't become an naturopathic physician, other career paths was sustainable architecture, particularly living homes where they're built from sod and all kinds of different materials and the houses breathe. And I actually Mm -hmm. have a mentor who was, he was at one point the Dean of the Chinese medicine program at my medical school, Heiner Frohoff. And he built one of these homes and he lives on this amazing ridge in the Sandy river outside of Portland, Oregon. And his house is like, you walk into it and talk about parasympathetic sympathetic shift. Mm-hmm. My whole body dropped down into something, just being in his home. And he also built the whole thing based on sacred geometry. So he incorporated sacred layouts and geo- geometric ways of doing things and building techniques. And then in addition, the materials that he chose and how the house, I mean, it's just the whole thing is exquisite. And, and for those of us who are tuned into our sensitivity. You know, I love how you put it of people, you know, the sensitives, which I want to have you talk more about that, like what you see about that. I also technically, I think that all human beings actually are that. We are not born into communities, conversations, or cultures. And when there's been a lot of trauma, a natural defense mechanism to trauma, and the trauma might not be yours, it might be ancestral. It might be down Mm -hmm. your lineage. You know, I don't have the extent of trauma in my actual lifetime that my mother did and my grandmother did and behind them. So like there's an ancestral lineage of trauma that I deal with in my cellular DNA. That's not things that actually happened to me. And when we have that, a very natural way of dealing with it is numbing and putting up walls. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's just a degree of that, you know, there's like Shaolin and all kinds of martial art masters who can feel their liver. Like they just know when something's going on with their liver, the way we would Mm -hmm. know something was going on with our toe. 
Mm-hmm. And we think in our culture that you're only supposed to feel the outside of your body, but that's just ludicrous. You have nerves everywhere. I mean, they are different. You don't have the same nerves in your internal organs that you do on your skin, but they're there. And when you have really severe diseases, you feel that pain. And then we have these referral pains and there's a whole network, but consider that we are that numb that actually you could just know what's going on with your liver. We just absolutely we have lost that. Absolutely. Well, we're, I mean, we're also trained not to trust that because. <laughs> what do you know um, about your own body? Speaking of which you've dealt right? with the medical community. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I go through the process of, you know, it can work either way. You can, and, and this is sometimes it gets super overwhelming for me to actually feel into my body because I'm so in tune that I then get feelings and emotions and recall experiences and things just from, you know, Hey, what's this? twitch in my shoulder. So that's another level of needing to slow down to be able to take that one thing at a time in due time because I can't do 15 things in a row. I get too tired. There's so many different exercises and practices about how to deal with your emotions and things. And I got triggered by something, by some thing. And I just went, what is that about? And so I felt like literally it was, I was threatened by some professional, some successful, culturally successful, like CEO person. Right. And I felt it in my liver. Right. Like <laughs> that's where it showed up. Like the whole, like right near the right side of my rib cage, like it flared with heat. So there's certainly something too feeling things existing in your body. And I think we've stuffed so many things into our body that, you know, what I'm experiencing now is there's so much, it takes so much to work through because to do it little bit by little bit by little bit takes time and focus and energy for anyone. And being sick, it's become my job. And and that is what I spend most of my time doing which in a way is great because I love transformation work. And at the same time, you know, I certainly pray for like mass transformation, like just some to be able to kick it up a level and just be able to drop a lot of things at once. Um, and I think I have done that at certain points, but I also think there's something to going through some things consciously because taking the time to go through things consciously is when you understand what it is for yourself and for other people. And it gives you a much greater capacity to be with other people's stuff and have compassion for where, where people are right now. Cause I think now more than ever it's, and I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record because a lot of people are saying this right now, but like, yeah, it's, crazy and people are divided and tired and it's hard to be understanding when you're tired. It's hard to be patient when you're tired, when you're overwhelmed. So, well, there's a, there's a pretty solid reality to that. The human race is in crisis right now. Mm. Like, like it's not just another challenging time. (laughs) Like, Zach Bush has rapidly become one of my heroes and he's a medical doctor who 
has one of those brains. He just sees things in a holistic, comprehensive way that is astonishing to me. Like I'm, I'm a pretty sharp thinker and he challenges me. I listen to his stuff and I can only do like 20 minutes at a time. And then I got to go digest it for a while. And he has some pretty amazing podcasts available um, on Rich Roll's podcast where he talks about the interconnection between, you know, the chemicals we use in farming, gluten sensitivity, leaky gut, what we've done to do our microbiomes, what we've done to the microbiome of the farming soil and the earth and how we are completely taking apart human evolution of the last billion years and literally like impacting our health so intensely and the interconnection between food, farming, industry, and health. And then he goes out even further into just like the state of the planet and the environment. It's not, you know, a cute, kitschy, hot button topic to talk about how, what the state of the earth's health is, is going to impact. It's impacting human beings massively in our health. And there's only one way out of this, which is that we decide that what is important is the health of the planet and the health of our bodies. And because, and you know, what I've seen in being a healthcare practitioner is as people heal, that compassion wakes up, that ability to listen gets there. Like you said, when you're tired, when you're dealing with pain, we lose a lot of our capacities to be there for each other. And so when that gets corrected and people rediscover those healthy patterns in their bodies get regenerated, like a whole world shows up of of energy and compassion. And, and, and interestingly enough, a thing wakes up where people really want to make a difference. Mm. Like it, it just naturally happens. And, you know, as Zach Bush has quite bluntly said, we're either going to do that or we're going to die. Absolutely. I mean, I- my background is ecology. I started out wanting to save the planet. And within a few years of working professionally, I went, no matter how much I put into this, the people are sick. And if the people don't get better, if they don't change their thinking, which then sucked because as an ecologist, I don't work well with people. I'm not... (laughs) (laughs) I picked a job that had me out in the woods for a reason. I like it out there. I love people. But, you know, I don't... I don't deal well with people's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. So yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with his thinking. Yeah. And then I have this, my own personal inquiry of, you know, when you listen to, and I'm in, by no means well versed in indigenous thought. And I don't think that all of indigenous thought is necessarily parallel or synchronistic, but that idea of ourselves as a net of stars, right? Everything is in layers. Every story exists in layers. And so what's happening in your body is happening to you, is happening around you, is happening globally, is happening, you know, what comes after globally. And I'm so interested. So I'm going to go super left field. What happens, you know, if we go out there and talk about all of these beings that exist not in physical earth level, you know, like what's going on there? And this is some a personal curiosity for me of how did we get here? You know, like what, and there are some theories about it and I 
when I read some of that was like 10 years ago and I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, no, dolphins weren't here first. <laughs> like they didn't give aliens permission to breed humans on earth. And now I, I don't know. I still, this is where I have to get through the fear to be able to trust what's there for me because those create those you know, things that come across as so crazy and bizarre now that I, I know as much as I know, even if I don't believe that, I don't know what I do believe because, I, you know, yeah, I think that there are external things happening. You know, I'm very much pulled to work with planets. Why am I pulled to work with planets and stars? I don't know what's there. I don't know, but yeah. by gosh, like there's some kind of energetic alignment there that also wants to be addressed and it wants to be addressed. It wants to be used, you know, like there's so many things happening and so many resources we have that we may not recognize we have. And that exists yeah. again on so many levels. Oh yeah. But I mean, just you know, asking your neighbor for something like, yeah where help exists, where divine guidance and divine support exists and wants to be called forth. And I think for any individual who may question that, all you have to do is look in yourself and really get how much you want to be of service. And if you think that you want to be of service, whether or not you think you can, whether or not you think you deserve to be or you're good enough or you're too good or whatever that is like we really are called for that there is yeah. no one who wakes up wanting to be a bad person this has been something i've said in many podcasts you know i actually don't believe that there are evil people no there may be acts and i even don't really use the word evil other people do i'm like there there are acts that cause more damage than regeneration, right? But if you actually get in the mind of the people doing those acts, those acts are coming from usually survival and protection, often of more than just themselves. It's not just survival and protection of themselves. It's survival and protection of a belief system. It's survival and protection of a family. It's survival and protection of their gang. It's survival and protection of their brotherhood. Yep. It's it's survival and protection of the military they've been raised inside of. Yep. It's, it's like, it's actually, this is going to really piss people off. It is actually, those violent acts can still be an act of, Out of contribution. An act. Yep. I got okay, what you love, said. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, the, yeah. And that's what, and that's for me spiritually, some of like, is it love or is it fear? And there can be a lot right. more destruction that comes from acts that are grounded in fear. I just have a belief that when it comes from love, it's going to be regenerative, but, mm -hmm. but for certain, they consider it an act of contribution. They consider it an act of being of service. They're just being of service to their view of life. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I totally agree with you. Not that this is about agreement, but <laughs> like where if you take 200 human beings of any walk of life and you put them in a room together and you ask how many of you want to make a difference for other people, be it your family, friends, or just the world as a whole, the entire room will put their hands up. Yep. And then you look around and you go, how many of you 
are willing to accept support and contribution from other people easily, effortlessly, joyfully. Like you just mm-hmm. say yes. Somebody's like, hey, can I get a chair for you? Yep. Hey, do you want a cookie? Sure. Hey, can I buy you lunch? How many people argue with their friends over just having somebody pay for their drink? Mm-hmm. You know, I, there was a point where there was a coach who actually said to me, I want you to be a yes for the next three weeks to everything. Like you just don't get to say no, thank you. Now, you know, within logic, right? Taking yeah, care right. Of my body. But the point was, I don't get to say no to having somebody buy me lunch. I don't get to say no to having somebody open the door for me. I don't get to say no to having somebody handle something for me. I don't get to say no when somebody's like, can I help you with that? Can I just do that for you? And it actually became an art form. My sister actually laughed. She's like, I don't know how you get so many people to just do things for you. I'm like, it's really simple. I just say yes. <laughs> they want to do it, you know? And, and then I now actually get, even if sometimes I actually don't, I don't betray my own energetic boundaries, but like, I don't necessarily want to, I will just allow people because it is a, it is a gift of love to that person to allow them that contribution. And where I go sideways in relationships is because my hard wiring Mm -hmm. is to be independent and do things by myself and on my own. And that's another layer of the story of being compassionate and understanding and get where people are coming from because I've come up against lately and I think always, and I've just finally identified what it was. A lot of the personal development coursework is like wrapped around how you're weak, how you're self-sabotaging, how Mm. you're all, you know, doing all these things and it's self-critical. And I think that that is a mistake to frame it that way, because that's just another way to beat yourself up for something you're not consciously doing for something that you chose literally to function, to protect yourself, to, to live workably in your life as it was at that time. And you keep using it because that's what we do. That's how we're, (laughs) we're literally, we learn. Of course we learn. We have to learn and we have to take the things that we've learned and lay them over because as you develop into an adult, you're expected to function on your own. And so as a child, you just take those things as this is the way it is. This is where I'm coming from. And it's entirely survival. So I'm having to remind myself to come from compassion for myself and to be okay with my own weakness, you know, quote weaknesses, my own perceived faults and to just let go of the idea that it should be any other way, even if I want it to be another way and really get good with how it is, really get good with the fact that there were wounds from my childhood that weren't anything huge. They weren't, you know, so outwardly traumatic. They were just, hey, the way my mom and dad interacted with each other wasn't healthy. And so as a kid, it was completely normal, but it affected me. And it affected every relationship I've had since. It affected how I interact with men. It affected, and so I have to like first deal with the fact and grieve that from the point of a child, like, I don't know how to be any other way. (laughs) It goes on so many levels of healing yourself from illness and just being with people in the world. 
and as someone who's gone through healing work and you you start to see the injuries on other people when you start yeah. processing your own stuff you yeah. you see what's going on and not that you need to do anything about it because you have to meet people where they're at but like it, it gets so much I guess easier to be with it and to have compassion for it but it really I think maybe that's where we're at as well energetically is like we we've been so good at giving to other people and it's time now to really get good with ourselves yeah yeah so uh, this is perfect segue because the, the place I want to kind of still go before we wrap up is from both of us, but definitely from you is like, what tools have you discovered literally to help navigate the world of being a sensitive, how to tune into these things? Cause I wouldn't be where I am with my acuity. You know, there was a point in time when I was about 20 to 22 years old, I literally just felt crazy. I couldn't mm. go into a bar and be around, like there would be like buildings I'd walk into and turn right around and walk out of because I couldn't be with the energy in that space. I couldn't, you know, in, in grade school, we would go to like Washington DC and we'd go to Gettysburg and we'd go to battlefields and I like couldn't, you know, the memorials, I'd get within feet of the memorial and I just sob. I was 13 years old in Washington DC and like couldn't be with some of the war memorials mm -hmm. and things like that. And because I would feel it. I would tune into all those people and the trauma and what have you. And, and I was lucky to have parents that didn't make that wrong or shut it down, but it didn't really work. Me walking around in life, like every time there was like a car accident in an intersection, I could feel the trauma left in the energetic field. Yeah. So I had a lot of tools that I eventually was given and found and went through teachers, but I'm curious, like what have been some of the things that have made a difference for you where you've been able to either hone your skills or be able to start to tune in to not be quite so overwhelmed? You know, I think what comes to mind, and I'm even surprised by it, is there's a yogini group and Shamali Arda is a yogini spiritual teacher and she teaches a lot of old feminine-based Hindu spirituality. And a lot of those stories and the basis of her teachings are encompassing everything as equal and valid and belonging. She tells a story of creation of mother earth and she was you know mother earth or maybe not mother earth but you know a mother divine mother gave birth to everything all the ugly all the beautiful all the wicked all the you know scratchy smooth ev you know every version of anything she it, it comes from her and the father energy divine couldn't be with the ugly so he buried it he hid it and when there's so much more to this story, but when that was unearthed, when, when it was seen that that's what was happening and, and he was hiding the ugly, he separated himself and like went out to like be the moon. And so I'm totally messing with this story, but in the mother's eyes, all her children are equal and loved and beautiful. 
And so I had to get, and I'm still working on it, I had to get clear that this too belongs. There isn't, Mm. there's nothing wrong with the sadness and the awful and the ugly. And, and, you know, I know from what I know of your training and what you know of my training, like we've been here before, but it's not something that we really live with on a day to day. It's not something that we really live inside of that, you know, someone who is depressed is just as perfect and just as great as they are. And that serial murderer is just as perfect and just as great as they are. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to go have tea with them because that might not actually be safe. Or wise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or wise to right? like keep And it's not condoning their actions as what works for humanity. Absolutely That's not the not. point. This is from a different level. Yeah. So it's, for me, where I'm finding the most room to release is, is to release the fear of what comes up. Mm. And I've done a lot of things to like tune things out and stuff, but it, it's not necessarily, it's from a self-preservation standpoint. It's not from a, I'm okay with everything. And I just tune into what I want when I want it. I haven't gotten there (laughs) somewhat. I have, I, I, I tend to tune in my personal crutch is tuning into what other people are tuning into because it feels safer than tuning into those other random things that I can't necessarily tune out of once I'm into yeah. it because, and I'm finding, you know, environmentally the things I have the hardest time tuning into I'm finding are the things I'm the least comfortable accepting. And this is a little bit off topic, but I'm going to go there because like I've done a little bit of training under an indigenous teacher who's just trying to teach essentially westernized people how to live. And it wasn't shamanic or anything. It was just how to live. And me being me, I'm trying to feel the spirits he's talking about. And I had, that was the hardest time I'd ever had, like trying to connect with what something was, someone was talking about. And I'm realizing it's the fear and the overwhelm with the intensity of those energies that Mm -hmm. keeps me from tapping into them yeah, or from feeling like they're real. And so practicing being okay with all of it and getting solid enough in myself, because in that process, a parallel path, a parallel outcome is that the more I'm okay with how everything is, the more I'm okay with me and that strengthens me and that gives me better boundaries and bigger boundaries to walk through life. The other thing that I'm really resistant to feeling is like the really powerful, overwhelming love, like that really intense divine greatness. Yeah. Like I, I have trouble feeling that as well. Yeah. Because being loved like that touches every wound I've ever had where I wasn't loved like that, which is, you know, unfortunately most of my life or what I could, how I was able to be loved. And that comes from my own capacity to be loved. Not people may have loved me that way. I couldn't feel it that way. So there's, you you ask me what tools I have and, and honestly, I'm not sure anymore. And, and being sick and 
I don't even like saying that I'm sick, but right, you know, right, being yeah. in this position where I'm, I'm, my body can't handle much. So, you know, I avoid people. I avoid public situations. I would much prefer to be in a yurt or in a space <laughs> home, you know, because in Sweden, they build houses of concrete and I don't like the way it feels. It's cold and damp. And I, yeah. you know, there's <laughs> part of the overwhelm that I've come to have to acknowledge that I'm feeling is, you know, indigenously, everything has a spirit. And anytime you take something from the land, you're essentially ripping it away from its mother. Yeah. And if you don't ask permission, if you don't do it from a place of request respect, and honoring, respect yeah, and, yeah. and that and giving something back for what you take that reciprocity. Yeah. As much as you can. And you know, there's a wounding there too. So when yeah. I became aware of that, I tapped into every wound that every piece of material around me has. Oh yeah. Um, I've had, a, I've had similar experiences sitting just in physical structures where I can literally feel the, the wounds, the deadness, the toxicity. I mean, we take trees, we put them through whatever industrial farming, then we cut them down and strip them. And then a lot of them, we pump them full of toxic chemicals in order to preserve the wood so that they won't rot or have, you know, any sort of insect issues. And like, and if you, you did get that a different to a end human, result. oh God, yeah. yeah, petrified, right? Like there yeah. would be, yeah. So I mean, essentially, we are doing that to humans more and more. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> or I mean, we really have. I mean, misogyny and to both men and women essentially does that. Yeah. So you know, there are consequences, and this is where I was listening to your podcast with. Ed, and I don't remember his last name, but I remember Kennedy. Heel yeah, Ed, Ed Kennedy. Yeah. The heel thing. Heel Ed, yes. And he was talking about going through the process of like the reckoning of the damage you've done as a man to women. And I'm I've been dealing with that internally with the environment for the last 10 years yeah. of like, I literally just gave up and went, okay, I'm an imperialist because I don't know how to grieve and come to terms, not only with the fact that I've done it, cause I can get that I've done it, but I don't know how to live not doing it. Like I literally don't know how to feed myself without continuing to do it. And I burnt myself out trying to farm, <laughs> like, you know, having a, a community plot and trying to garden and raise kids and do everything day to day and make medicine and, you know, all those things that it really does take a village to do, but I was trying to do it myself because I live in a world where that's what I'm supposed to do, to do it myself and, and in a place where there aren't 20 other people who live right next door to me who are interested in doing the same thing. So that, that's something else that I see that the intersectionality of patriarchy and environmentalism and, yeah. and racism and that coming to terms with the damage we've done and the hurt we've caused. And, and then if we know we're going to do it again or like we know we're not perfect, how do we, how do we balance that? Like you, you don't, apologize to a rape victim and then do it again 
Like you don't be yeah, like, oh, I, sorry, that must have sucked for you, but hey, we're going to get together tonight. <laughs> right. I And I think that I don't have the answers, right? I, I don't. A possible place, and I you touched on it earlier, is there's something we've got to do to get right with ourselves mm. in not having this be another blame conversation, just like you were saying about the personal growth and development industry, where it's gotten kind of tuned into being so critical on what doesn't work and our shortcomings and our transgressions. It's like what I see and in true form, as we wrap up this podcast, let's just drop a bomb of a whole nother topic into it. But um, (laughs) what I see is a possible way out of where we've been for at least the last 3,000 to 10,000 years since agrarian society became our norm and then the industrialization that followed is discovering or rediscovering that who we are is divine love and that we are that great and powerful love and that that's our essential natural being and that we let go of this conversation of something being intrinsically wrong with us each one of us has a, there's something inherently wrong with us. There's, there is a psychological, physical manifestation of the, of the story of original sin. And I'm not a big biblical theologian, but I have studied it and paid attention to it. And we don't make up myths for no reason. Mm. And not everyone's going to love me calling original sin a myth. But if you look at it from mythology, there was a storyline of this being born with this sense of something's wrong with me. And I do think that that's currently inherent in human psychology. And we have evidence from anthropologists and from people who study indigenous communities that that's not true in every community. There are actually communities Mm -hmm. of human beings that don't walk around with that. They're crystal clear that they belong and there's nothing inherently wrong with them. And they see life completely differently than we do. And I think it is an inherited wound of our Judeo-Christian, Western, Caucasian, white culture that we've now attempted to colonize the entire world with. And that that may be part of what's to come if we really like, let's, fingers crossed however you want to say it, the age of Aquarius is coming. It's all about humanity and humanitarianism. It's a possibility of an entirely new revelation of what it means to be a human being and who we really are. And that, like you said, we actually can alter how society and culture works. And what could be possible is a full-scale human being species transformation at the level of if we can actually heal or drop or whatever we need to do this conversation of there's something wrong with me, that's where so much of the survivalism stems from. And out of survivalism becomes me versus you. I have to protect myself. You're different from me. You're a threat to my own survival. And that whole world of duality in that way. And there are spiritual people that say, if we ever make it, what's next for human evolution is this fifth world, this fifth dimension where everything our life is about is given by seeking and propagating pleasure. And it's Mm -hmm. not the pleasure we know right now, the pleasure of like overeating and indulging in donuts and ice cream and wine and and Netflix, not that. It's this other ecstasy that has been tapped into for thousands of years through spiritual practices. It's not new to us. It's just not been 
it's not mainstream. It's not like every single person's like having mind blowing orgasms that rock their spiritual life every weekend with their partners. Although I bet a lot of people would like to, and I can give you resources for that. (laughs) You know, but that's a possibility. And, and psychedelic medicine is opening this up and, you know, transcendental spiritual practices of which there's probably better words are access to this. And there's forms of meditation that are access to this. And what I've seen as a doctor is diet and physical detox is only ever going to get a human being so far. And then it's got to be this work if they really want to go all the way. And it's, that's where I am and I'm not done. Mm -hmm. How's that for a place to like stick a pin in it? (laughs) (laughs) Deep man. Right. Right. (laughs) Oh man. Ah, this is like the best conversation ever. I'm so glad we did this. I love that you emailed me. I don't know, sometime in the middle of the night, because it was, you know, daytime Swedish time for you. But when you're like, hey, so like, how far out there can we go? And I'm like, all the way, baby. (laughs) And it's perfect. I'm like, I'm super inspired, actually, to, to keep these threads going and to keep having these deeper conversations of the stuff that's just not not talked about. And thank you for sharing your inner world and your inner experiences. And, you know, we could have had a lot of different conversations about what it is to have Lyme's disease and chronic fatigue syndrome. And I think this is going to spin some realities for people about what it could be like. Good. Because I think this is, this is what we need to be talking about. This is, I think it's when you're not succeeding physically healing something, there are other places to look. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and as much as my body isn't necessarily responding yet, the fact that I can be okay being physically as, as debilitated as I am is huge because I, I'm, I'm usually really okay with it. And if I start to speak to other people about all of my symptoms, when they ask me how I am, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. That's where I am? Oh my yeah. God. You know, yeah. but, but on the inside, I'm great. Yeah. yeah so that's ain't nothing wrong with your soul and your spirit and who you are. Not a damn thing. No. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Corey Media. This has been incredible and very likely there will be more to come. I just appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. Until we do this again. Thank you to today's guest, Corey Madia, for radiance and truth. If Heal's been making a difference for you, we would greatly appreciate it if you left us a review on your favorite platform so we can reach more people and help heal our world. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Keep the conversation going. Have ideas or a healing story to share? Send us your thoughts, wants for future episodes, or questions by contacting us at sarahmarshallnd.com or on Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. We'll see you next time.